0: Hey guys, you know what this playground could use? A wine country, huh?
1: A Redwood Forest would be cool. Ski slopes!
2: Wait! Did we just invent California?
3: Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com. Hey everyone, this is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos? Or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.
2: I'm Alec Baldwin, and this is Here's the Thing from iHeartRadio.
3: I'm Carrie
4: Donahue, and this is Here's the Thing from iHeartRadio. Carrie, what are you doing? Alec, don't you remember? The staff of the show is going to be hosting episodes from the archives every other week for the rest of the summer.
2: I completely forgot that.
4: Well, it's happening. Oh, okay. Well, best of luck, Kerry. Thanks, Alec. It happens pretty often on this show, but I'm a sucker for when Alec talks with other actors. Two of my favorite interviews he's done were with Julianne Moore and Maggie Gyllenhaal. They are both so talented and often take on surprising, challenging projects. Alec talked with Maggie Gyllenhaal in 2018, just after the release of The Kindergarten Teacher. We'll get into that conversation shortly. Alec's conversation with Julianne Moore took place in 2014. Julianne Moore has been nominated for five Academy Awards, Boogie Nights, The End of the Affair, Far From Heaven, The Hours, and she won Best Actress for her work in Still Alice. She played a linguistics professor diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease soon after her 50th birthday. Alec Baldwin played her husband. They worked together again on 30 Rock, Julianne Moore was very funny as Jack Donaghy's high school crush, Nancy Donovan. They share something else in common, too. Alec and Julianne Moore both started on daytime soaps, which came up when they talked about going to drama
5: school. It was for some reason thinking about a friend of mine who didn't go to drama school in the car on the way here, and I wonder what it was like for her because she you know, hasn't seemed to need it. And there are a lot of things that I did in drama school that i think i didn't need either but then in retrospect i'm like you know it's helpful did you go to drama school mm-hmm. where'd you go nyu oh okay did you go straight on to search for tomorrow then
2: the doctors the i doctors. can't believe you just said that i can't believe it. why I, because i have in front of me i wasn't going to go there right off oh, but, but now but that, you gonna... open that window you were fanny and sabrina that's Hughes. that's
5: right franny not fanny franny and sabrina
2: Someone else was Fanny Hughes. You were Franny <laughs> I Hughes.
5: I
3: was
2: Hughes. Yeah, exactly.
5: I know. I mean, couldn't it have been Francie yeah. or Francis? Laura but...
2: was Fanny Hughes. She was. <laughs> you, were fa- you were Franny and Sabrina Hughes mm-hmm. on World Turns. Mm-hmm. And before that, you did Edge. I did Edge. Were you on Edge? See, if you're on soaps, only when you're on a soap can you say Edge. Edge. Search. Right, search. Yeah. World yeah. Turns. Yeah. Days.
5: Mm-hmm. Days. That's so funny because I was on Edge when they were on... East 49th Street in that really, really tiny studio. Remember now Rachel Ray shoots there? Yeah. And really tiny. Soaps are gone. I know. They're gone. They're
2: gone. Soaps are gone. This is a couple of those four soaps left.
5: And I work with people. The guy that played my dad, Don Hastings, he started Don on me. that show two months before I was born. So he had been on that show my entire lifetime when I got on. And he when the show was gone, he was still on it, too. He was the most wonderful guy, so funny. But
2: do you feel oh. in some ways, I mean, in some ways, I don't want to exaggerate, but yeah. wasn't doing a soap like some of the most honest work you've ever done in your Absolutely, life?
5: Absolutely, because you have nothing to help there's you. No
2: there are no, no,
5: no fr- there's no frills. There's no dialogue. Frills. I
2: mean, you, they're, right. they're,
5: the dialogue is so rough, it's so basic. All you're doing is is establishing story. I used to do what they called emotion. I called it anyway, emotional application. Okay. where if I had to say something that was really just plot-oriented, I'd try to, like, cry on top of it or laugh on top of it or anything just to make it mean something, sure. right? Sure, sure. Yeah, because it's all exposition.
2: Well... I read somewhere where you said that doing the soap gave you experience mm-hmm. and confidence. Absolutely. Or discipline. it discipline. was discipline and confidence.
0: Well, because and you, I loved that. yeah,
5: because no one no one has time to help you. you know, the directors are working really fast. the writers are working fast, the other actors are working really quickly. You're just on your own. I remember Marissa Tomei, she played my best friend Marcy. <laughs> she said we got I into the we, we got into the elevator and she looked at me and she goes, remember L is for lunch because that was where the lobby was and so in that cafeteria and that was like the best piece of advice because I was like on my <laughs> own. Remember, hell is for lunch and then we did a scene together and it went by so quickly. You know, we did one, one and a half takes or something and she goes, you feel terrible, don't you? I said, uh-huh. She goes, it happens all the time. You'll get used to it. <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah, you're going to walk out of the really crappy two out of five days of the week. That's right. I just remember when I did that show, you had to show up on time They had to know your dialogue. Yeah, and no matter how excruciating it was, if you didn't, they fired you.
5: You had to be there at seven o'clock in the morning. You'd rehearse. You were on camera. I would have sometimes thirty pages of dialogue a day for three. It was like you know for three years. So it was like a boom, 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 and then you finish maybe seven thirty, eight, nine. If you go late. You know, it was crazy. How long did you do this up
2: for? It World a th- Turns was your contract. It was my moment.
5: contract. And it was a three-year contract. You did it um, for three years. CBS, they gave, they would do three years. Uh, the ABC once would do two years and stuff, but they, they never gave me an option. Although they had the option to fire me at any time. Right. <laughs> was it's their was option. Yeah. yeah, it was their option. And when you finished, yeah. what did you do? I went to the Guthrie Theater, actually, and I did Hamlet.
2: With Hamlet,
5: um, Jelko Ivani. I saw you. You did not. I saw you. No, come on. Do you want to know something? Yeah.
2: Uh, I can tell you right now. I did Lute with him on Broadway in 1986. Jelko, you did it with Jelko. Yeah. You did the show the following year in 87 or
5: 88. 87, it was 87 or 88.
2: Yeah, like I, I flew to yeah. Minneapolis to see Jelko.
5: Holy cow! I saw you do.
2: I saw you do Hamlet at the at the Guthrie.
5: Well, I wasn't a Hamlet. I was Ophelia. Yeah, you were. Exactly. I saw you. What did you think?
2: I thought it was fantastic. You don't, I you don't remember Yvonnek, me, do you? you? you want to know something? I do. And Jelko Ivonik you were very young. You were a child. Yes. And uh, Jelko Ivonik he was probably one of the best Hamlets I've ever seen because mm-hmm. he didn't have to push. No, he seems like a very dark, kind of conflicted, and he person. also seemed like
5: a very young man. You yeah. know, I think that was interesting. But both Jelko and I are very, were very small, very slender, and tiny, and we looked like teenagers, kind of. You know, so who directed Garland Wright, who I adored. He passed away, but boy, I loved Garland. He was great. It was a really interesting production. I love I Jelko. Thought. Jelko was, was great. There's a thing that
2: people strain for when they play Hamlet that he has in yeah. that I really, really loved. Mm-hmm. So you did the Guthrie, and then
5: and I went to the I went to Actors Theatre of Louisville and did some plays there, an Arthur Coppett play, and and then so there wasn't
2: an idea that you want to kind of strap yourself into the rocket sled here and get going, L.A. TV movies. No,
5: no, I mean I just did. I also worked. I worked at the public. I did some plays, and then I met Andre Gregory, and I did Vanya. And all along though, I was I was auditioning for stuff, and I got TV movies and things. And but it wasn't until I was twenty nine. That I got my first movie, which was an HBO movie called Cast a Deadly Spell. And then I did Hand That Rocks a Cradle. Mm-hmm. And then I did Shortcuts. And then I did Safe. And then and then my movie career didn't really start happening until I was 29, 30. So for, for, it was just theater. Did you say and television. Shortcuts was
2: the biggest break you had at that time?
5: Well, I, what happened was I did Shortcuts, Vanya and 42nd Street, and Safe. So it was kind of the beginning of the independent theater movement if you you will and they all came out within the same year and I went from being an actress who had no profile at all in film none because I couldn't I couldn't get arrested doing movies I mean I would never get cast um, Do you know why? I don't know you know honestly I would just didn't get him I didn't get him and in the 80s I can remember, I mean, I just for a ton of things. I remember auditioning for lots of Merchant Ivory movies. I always wanted to get one of those because those were such a big deal. I would audition for big comedies. I just <laughs> didn't get them. And I, and <laughs> I was like, mm, you know.
2: I remember the same thing. You'd be sitting there going, man, I want to get me one of them John Sayles movies. <laughs> That's
5: why. I, oh, I, would I aud- need to be one of those movies. I auditioned for him constantly. Yeah, I never, never got them. I actually got really close to a few things, but I never got anything. Where I did really well was in television. I kept, like, booking TV things. But you know they would put you on hold, and then they'd you do pilots for them. And yes, my, that's the other thing. To my pilots, holding deals, they would wouldn't get picked up. Whenever anybody says, "How do you plan your career?" You know, I mean, you laugh because we don't have any control.
2: There's but no the funny thing about anything. it is, you seem like somebody who's had a plan. No, uh huh. Once you started making films, were the things you just didn't do anymore? Did you try to say, "I'm going to put all my eggs in this basket"?
5: No, most of the time we just do with what you're offered, you know. The best of what you're offered. You do the best of what you're offered. You know, I I think after I was on the soap, I did, you know, I didn't spend a lot of money. I kept my money in the bank. So then I spent some time doing theater because I really felt like I wanted to do that. You You took good care of yourself. Yeah, I wanted to do that kind of stuff. And then I would do some TV movies and try to get, you know, and then the holding deals too that you make money doing that. But in so, between
2: shortcuts, yeah, and playing Sarah Palin, mm-hmm. there's not a lot of TV in between there. Once you start making no. movies big time, you're making movies.
5: Yes, that's true. You don't
2: go back to TV very much at all.
5: No, no, because it, it also it's kind of ch- it changed, you know. Because there was a period too Bingo. where, because now, now it's sort of they call you know, now it's the golden age of television. Now there, there is such kind of um, interesting quality stuff on television, you know, great writing, great acting, and you know. So I think things did changed. But there was a period when TV was very basic network stuff was not terribly interesting.
2: What was it like when you met Altman?
5: Oh, man. He came to see Vanya. You know, when we were doing Uncle Vanya, and he sat there, and I couldn't believe he was there. I don't even know if I said anything to him that day because he was he's the reason that I feel like I'm a film actor because when I went to school in Boston there were all those revival houses do you remember revival houses? Sure. This, this is like hey,
2: grandpa sure. grandma says you yes. hey, remember that? I remember I Cinema Village is yes. around 13th exactly. Street
5: take your walk where would you go? go? I went to the Brattle Theater in Harvard Square Harvard Square so the Brattle was a revival house and used to have all these different weird double bills and stuff and I saw um, three women Altman's Three Women. And somehow I made it through the 70s without seeing Nashville or, or Brewster McLeod or McCabe became and Mrs. Miller or any of those movies. So I'm Mash. watching MASH and I was like, who made this movie? This movie's incredible. And it was the first time as a young person that I noticed a directorial hand, you know, where I was like, this is a specific kind of storytelling and it's eliciting a specific kind of acting. I kind of walked out of there and I thought, I want to do that. And, of course, it wasn't in the realm of possibility for me the first 10 years of my career.
2: He came in Sylvania.
5: So he's saw Vanya. And then he met me on The Player, which I desperately wanted. I remember sitting there talking to him. He said, I'm not going to give this to you. <laughs> and I was like, OK. And that was it. And I was devastated. And then I got this phone call out of the blue for Shortcuts. Hi, it's Bob Altman. Do you remember me? Know who I am? And I was—I thought it was somebody playing a trick on me. I really did. I didn't think it was possible that he, you know, that's when we had hard lines too. You know, right. pick up your phone, and he said, "I have this movie that I want you to do." And I said, "I'll do it. I'll do it." And he goes, "No, I want you to read it first, and then you can tell me if you want to do it." You know, but it was really—I mean, really, really—a dream come true to to work with him. What an amazing
2: man! It's no secret, I think, when you're in the business, or out of it, but especially when you're in the business, that casting and effective casting is 60% or more of a director's job. Right. They want to just bring people to the party who know how to hit the ball. And he was someone who, I'll never forget, someone said to me, they were all gathered there in this air airsats rehearsal. Some of them were able to attend and some weren't. And Bob just turned to everybody and said, uh, Anuka May was in it uh-huh. and Mastroianni and yeah. some feeler. And, and he would and, and look at them and he was like, now Anuk? You just go ahead and speak French. You speak French if Uh you want to or English or Italian. Uh, Marcello, say whatever you want to say. Y'all just say anything you want to say and speak in whatever language you want to speak in. And I'll fix it in the edit. I'll subtitle it or whatever. He seems so... Uncontrolling.
5: He, he was. The thing about Bob was that you couldn't do anything wrong. So it made you feel like you could do anything and you would do anything for him. You'd be like, oh, wh- what can I do? What can I do? And he's like, whatever you want to do. But it wasn't like it was chaos, you know. He set up, it was like there was a corral that all the actors were in and it was his corral. And even with an improv, he'd say, okay, you know, improv this. He'd now let's do it again. But this time you just say that part. So he was in complete control of it, but he really made you feel so free and so loved.
2: Non-judgmental. Yeah. Uh, there's a quote I read about you where someone says, they, they cast you in shortcuts and you were a total unknown.
5: That's right. She's a
2: total unknown, they said, I was, casting in this role. chokers. <laughs> I thought, and by then you've been working for almost 10 years in for the business. I 10 years.
5: However, within that cast, I was the only person, and there were, what, 30 people in it, who wasn't famous. So but Isn't
2: it amazing how in the movie business you are an unknown, unknown if you haven't done a movie? I know. That, that any of us have seen. Exactly. What changed after you did that film? Did you change? Personally, did I change? Yeah. Um I don't know. I'm
5: ugly changed. and I have no talent. <laughs> That's right. And now I'm beautiful. Did you start to get, did you start to get cured of And then I got that? and then I was and then I became yeah, talented I'm gorgeous, and beautiful
2: and I know everything.
5: <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it was interesting, and I think this is, and it's actually very similar to what I felt growing up as a kid. You would be in one situation, you'd be at a school, and maybe you would be a kid who wasn't very popular, and no one thought you were, you know, very interesting or something. And then you'd move to another school. At that school, everybody would think you were interesting for some reason. It would just happen, and you'd think like, well, I was the same person. I haven't changed that much. So but it's the perception just how he, of you has the, changed. Well, the has changed. And
2: now the perception of you has changed after all.
5: So and that, well and so that's what happened to me too. So after ten years of doing television and theater, although people don't see the theater, so they don't think you really exist TV, People thought, oh, she's a TV actress. And then I do work with Andre Gregory and Louis Maul, and I work with you know Robert Altman, and I work with Todd Haynes. And suddenly, I'm a huge film discovery. I'm in this amazing. You Everyone know, wants you. Yeah. And then I'm like, I'm the same, <laughs> the same right. thing. So I think, oddly, what happens is that you don't change a perception of yourself. You're like, well, clearly, it's just yeah, other people's perception. It solidified my own work ethic. It, that it doesn't matter where I'm working.
2: Did you feel that be, the way you grew up fed this in mm-hmm. terms of you being because you had to reinvent yourself?
5: Yeah, well, and no, also you were,
2: you were seen by a fresh set of eyes yeah. again and again and again.
5: You you just you have to discover a core self and a core a core sense of values and people kind of poo poo and say like oh TV uh, or oh this or that. I'm like you know nuh-uh. Uh-uh. Yeah. it's all valuable all that's of it way. you know yeah even when so I do just, radio announcing it's important I'm like, it's work, right. is work. It work is work work is I and owe them my best and, and it's also it's it's valuable for you to do your best no matter where you are too I really really believe that you know in everything you do and I also resent it when people say that they can't do something like they can't they were terrible waitress and I'm like why? Because you weren't paying attention?
2: <laughs> you're supposed to write down what I said. Yeah.
5: <laughs> so it's, it's important, no matter what you're doing, to put effort into it, I think. Julianne Moore. Did you know that there
4: are 250 episodes in the Here's the Thing archive? If you like these kinds of in-depth conversations between Alec and other actors, policymakers, and musicians, go to heresthething.org and take a look around. After the break, we'll hear more of Alex's conversation with Julianne Moore.
3: Mother's Day is coming, and mom doesn't want flowers. She wants a cocktail. Here's a hint.
6: To date, HealthLock has helped its members save over $130 million. Bottom line, insurance alone isn't enough. To save, visit HealthLock.com. Do it today before you see another healthcare provider. That's HealthLock.com.
4: I'm Carrie Donahue, still in for Alec Baldwin on Here's the Thing. Revisiting his twenty fourteen conversation with actor Julianne Moore. Alec was surprised to learn that Julianne Moore's career didn't really take off until she did a
5: string of independent films in the nineties. In the nineties in particular, when there were a lot of people who were working who were who were writer directors and they were kind of it was sort of a really great great period for independent film. I think people were Looking to tell these really unusual stories. And there wasn't an economic expectation on them either. That's changed. So it was about being involved in that narrative, in that that vision and and stuff. You know, it really was bringing that story to life, I think.
2: You made every kind of movie.
5: I've made every kind of movie. You've made
2: every yeah. kind of movie. Yeah, yeah. You've done movies with Steven Spielberg uh-huh. and Dinosaurs. That's right. You've done sequels where Anthony Hopkins chops his own hand off because uh-huh. of, he's so in love with you.
5: <laughs> right. I've done um, independent drama. P.T. Anderson movies. P.T. Anderson, yeah. Scary movies. Black couple, and white movies. Have I done Did any? you do a black and white, and white? Movie? I don't know what I have. They, they didn't have...
2: remake Psycho in black and white. They did it in color. They
5: did it in color, yeah. Okay. But that was a remake. That was a shot-by-shot shot remake. No, that I know. You know, so it,
2: which, you, which in an interview I read, you thought that was something you should not have done.
5: I think it failed. I don't think that I shouldn't have done it, but I do think that the... When um, you're
2: doing the film that is a shot-by-shot... Shot, I mean, I just yeah. find this fascinating psychologically. When you do a film... I mean, I'm not just saying this for your benefit. You are a very, 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 very talented woman. Aww. And Van Zandt is a good director. He I think he's a great very director, good director, yeah. What does Van Zandt... When he's remaking shot-by-shot shot one of the greatest thrillers in history... Right. Did Van Zandt have to say anything to bolster you to get through that experience? Experience? Was he like mm- trying to?
5: No, and it wasn't like. It wasn't like we had to be bolstered to get through it. I think we were all very specifically trying to recreate recreate it, but in a and now I wish if if we were to do it again, I would like to do it in black and white. I'd like to do it in the same costume. I'd like to do it with the exact same intonation.
2: Let's let's do (laughs) Let's do the better remake of Psycho. Like that,
5: that to me, I think that would have been instead. We sort of modernized it, but then kept the old pacing. Anne Hesch. It was yeah. She she was great. Who was Norman? Oh, oh, oh! Um, um, Vince Vaughn. Vince Vaughn.
2: How was Vince as a director?
5: <laughs> he was great. He's such a lovely person. Very, very soft-spoken. You know, just incredibly, incredibly soft-spoken. I liked him a lot. I'd like to work with him on something that he that you know that. Was I love elephant.
2: Own. Elephant. I always tell people see elephant, which I is his Columbine seen it. film. <gasps> Oh, my God, what what an amazing film. It's an amazing film. It's like the most uh, hypnotic Mm -hmm. film that that has a Columbine type of uh, uh, theme to it. And uh, I, I love Gus. I think Gus is incredible.
5: I think my favorite kind of acting to do, though, I saw Todd Haynes, my friend Todd Haynes, who I made Far From Heaven and Safe With. And we had dinner together and we were talking about our experience. And he said, why did you understand how did you understand how minimal the acting was going to be? And I said, I felt like I saw it in the language. His language was so spare and so specific. And then I would say, let me see the frame. And his frames were also, I I felt like he was communicating so much just in the frame. So my favorite thing as an actor is to know what the director's vision is, to to communicate it communicated that way through the language and in the shot. And then I'm like, now I know what I'm doing.
2: Give me an example.
5: Well, like when Todd, Todd had a shot, Uh, of a very wide living room you know and at a baby shower and there were a bunch of women all the way at the right side of the frame I had crossed all the way across and was standing up on the left side of frame and I just asked where the ladies room and my only line is can you tell me where the ladies' room is, please? Or something like that. And I could see it was all about this movement of her kind of trying to reach over to these people. So so once I looked at that I was like, okay, well I can see if I hunch my shoulders forward then my then this little figure is kind of bowed in this big wide frame, you know. So he's telling the story of alienation. You know, you don't have to talk about anything, you just do it. It's great.
2: When I was saying before how I think, you know, I know what what it is people hire you for what they expect from you I think the, the ingredient in the meal that you are is a tremendous amount of emotional truth huh. you have a kind of emotional resonance which you turn on and off Yeah, you know like I always I want to talk to you about P.T. Anderson for a minute well, Like when you do Boogie Nights and that character you played you played someone who was so cut off then that, that's what I perceive. From her
5: reality. Yeah. What I perceived yeah. was,
2: was did you make a choice with this woman, yeah. that famous scene you have with him, where he's going to have sex with you and you tell him,
5: you can do this to fact, me. You and can you, and you're very
2: mad. Yeah, do this, do this, yeah. do this. You can do this to me. Go ahead. Go ahead. And you're kind of holding it. It's like his first day at school. Well, she's in complete denial about what's going on. You know, she's someone
5: who's made an economic choice. You know, really. She's given up her family. She's given up her child. She probably was in a position where this was the only kind of work she could get. She's a drug addict. Did you meet
2: any of those people? Yeah. Yeah. You
5: She's a drug addict. My favorite scene in the movie is when she goes to court to get custody of her son. We're talking about boogie nights, by the way, for people who are listening. And she's all dressed up and she's trying to be kind of a straight arrow and stuff. And she feels very self-righteous about getting her child back. And the judge looks at her and says, Maggie, have you ever been arrested? And that's the end. And you go, oh, my God this you know she's she's of course she's been arrested you know and she just sobs and sobs and sobs and you go so this is a woman who in her head thinks that she can be a parent but she's she can't yeah. she's not living a life that's going to allow herself yeah. to parent a child but she won't there's a huge space between what she feels about herself and what the actual what was actually happening that's the
2: first time you worked with anderson
5: yeah yeah anyway, what have you
2: been doing before that what did he see you in or did he saw cast me in you off Safe.
5: Of? I don't know. I think he saw me in... Ba- I think he saw his Shortcuts and Safe and Vanya and all that stuff. Ta- you know, Paul was very young. He was 26 when we met. We met at a party. And a friend of mine introduced me to him and said, this guy wrote this script and he wants you to do it. And I was like, I would love to read it. And he said, you're going to be in my movie, man. I got the script and I read it and I was like, holy cow. Yes, I am. This is fantastic. He has such an original voice. It was so exciting. It was such... An amazing story and so emotional and wonderful and rich and, yeah, I was lucky to get it. You know what you were saying? I was thinking about how when you talk about emotion, you know, on camera and stuff. You have that, too. You have, this, you have this tremendous vitality, like a real sense of being alive and a lot, a lot contained inside you. And it's wonderful to work with you because it just permeates the scene. Like, you know, you feel that. That's the trick, The trick is, how do you live on camera? How do you become alive on camera? So there's all this stuff about acting. You know, you can kind of create a character and do all this kind of stuff.
2: Set your pride aside. You don't have to worry about how you look. Yeah, but be
5: alive. Be alive. You did that great thing when we had that scene in Still Alice. You know, we had to say, remember Santorini, which it's always really hard to start a scene with that kind of a thing and, and you said and then you made you started laughing so hard and then I started laughing and then suddenly it's a scene about two people laughing because I was it, trying it's to genuine. remember Santorini <laughs> you're like,
3: what? like oh,
5: yeah. but you know it's, it's like that's what you want you know that's why I like to talk when I work
2: what do people expect from you or think of you when they meet you?
5: I think they think that I'm going to be more serious than I am. I guess because of all the dramas and the crying and stuff, right. they think that I'm going to be really dramatic and sad. Of the emotion
2: of the films. Yeah, you do.
5: but I'm not. As you know, I'm not a very serious person, right. and I'm not a very, I'm not a terribly sad person. Well, you are when you, know? you need to be. Sure. But you say, yeah, that. I can be serious, but, um, but to I mean, live I'm, there all the time. I like to. I'm I'm very chatty. I like mm-hmm. to talk all the way up to action. I do, I do. And if you can't talk to me, I'm really disappointed. Then I get lonely, do I don't want to be lonely when I'm working. Yeah. I want to be with my buddy. I want to talk to me. Talk Let's to me, You're my friend. Let's be buddies. Talk to me. What'd you do this morning? What'd you have for dinner last night? What are you doing later today? Are you cold? Do you like that <laughs> sweater? Do you like my sweater? What are you doing? Action, acting. I love it. That's my favorite oh, part. And oh, <laughs> then you get this great connection with another human being, and then the scene is like pooh, comes alive. But you know? why do you
2: think that that emotion is so available to you? Why?
5: It's inside. It's inside everybody everyone so it's like how do you access that you know your own story everybody else's story you know what you're getting on top is just like the tiniest little like shell other than that there's all this stuff but then but then like I said it's easier for me to get into it when I'm when I'm tra- you know talking to you about you know how much I like your sweater and you know where you live and are you gonna rent or are you gonna buy or I, you know all that kind of stuff you know how are your kids Did, you know how was seventh grade for so- and so I mean I I, I, I I love all that stuff
2: I remember when I was younger I think it was even unconscious as I would see people act in films. Mm-hmm. And the predominant examples would be like Brando or Pacino or someone like that, where uh, them breaking down wasn't a big deal. These were like notes you played in music. Mm -hmm. Like, that's just what people do. I didn't think about it like like it was separate because I went to Strasbourg where they really right. they put you in the frying pan and yeah. they really made you get to that Yeah. and I went to acting school for a year where we basically cried for like a they year made
5: you, well they try to get you used to being able to
2: to tap into but that but
5: the funny thing is is that that's just a technique to get you to tap into it because people mm-hmm. don't really behave that way but you have to find it once again it's all, all about what's true what's real it's like guns in in movies and guns going off and people hitting people sometimes especially early on in my career people would be like and then someone gets slapped Slapped. and I thought wait people don't slap each other and if somebody does it's shocking so remember that when when there's a physical altercation you're shocked by it when people cry it's upsetting you're not trying to cry you're trying not to cry because you don't want to be embarrassed you know so it's like so all that acting school stuff is about learning how to locate all those feelings but then over time and with experience you learn like the greats like Brando to modulate them.
2: When you worked with P.T. Mm-hmm. with Paul Thomas Anderson, Boogie Nights was the first film. Was he helpful to you as a director or did it all basically take care of itself because it was so it well written? It took care of
5: itself. I have to say, all he stands the, back and you the great go. directors, all the greatest directors, say very, very little. Magnolia was harder because it was so emotional and I was really trying to plot it you know because I had to k- literally cry in every scene and so I had to I'm like all right Paula Paul this is this is like the smaller crying into the bigger crying the biggest crying into the big 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 you know yeah. so it's like I had to find a way to the not symphony. be it wasn't like the the level of hysteria had to change you know I had to be modulated I couldn't be at 10 I had to be at two and you know get to 10 oh. and all that kind of stuff there are times when I'll say to a director uh I want you to watch my vocal pattern I want you to watch my level of hysteria I want you to whatever but basically I want them to direct the, the movie do you know I, I feel like I feel like there's a it's a misnomer that a director is an acting coach the director is there to direct the audience's eye through a film the actor is doing the acting they shouldn't have to say you know I think when that you had you're... a tough
2: time with a director, how was it tough? Without naming names, what was tough?
5: When they talked to me too much. They did Well, because I always say to everybody, please don't speak to me before I've done any acting. I said, because I'm just trying let's to hang on to this. Let's see what I come this. up with. Yeah, yeah, let's see what I come up with. And if I'm way off base, then please, by all means, come up and say, like, wow, that wasn't what I expected. But if I hear too much, I mean, this is going to sound really silly and precious, but I always say that acting, so it's like this little flame, And you've got this, like, little thing, and you're thinking, okay, I want this to work, but you don't want to blow it out. If somebody comes along and says, this is what I think, they might just blow it out, (laughs) and then you have nowhere. You know, then you can't reach it anymore.
2: Now, as emotional as you are, and you have this uh, remarkable emotional resonance in your work, what do you like privately to the extent that you want to say you're a mother?
5: yes. You I were married two, before. You I was, were married I was, once before, I married again. Married, I'm married now. I've been, You've to, had I've been your, with my husband for 18 years. We have two children. Two They're children. 16 and 12. Right. I have a fantastic, fantastic family. I have two dogs. They're black. One is small and one is big, a chihuahua and a lab. And uh, we live in New York City. I have a really nice life. I'm really, really lucky. You
2: try to keep it simple?
5: Oh, man, yeah. I really do. I try to keep it as How simple How do you and he tag
2: team work-wise? Because he makes films.
5: He makes films and television, too. You know, we've been very fortunate. I mean, it's interesting because the, the work-life balance thing is always an issue for everybody. When they're little, when they were babies, it was super, super easy because babies don't know where they are. And you can bring them everywhere. Just feed them and, and they're good. Yeah. And also, we have an incredibly tolerant business toward women with children. I have to say, thank goodness for the movie business. I remember my son was, when I was doing Psycho, as a matter of fact, my son was nine months old and I was still getting used to having a baby and he was always with me and stuff. And he was hysterical in the trailer one day and I was nursing him and trying to get him to calm down. And They knocked on the trailer door and they said, you know, we need you. And I was like, <laughs> I said, my
3: baby's crying. I can't come. Yeah.
5: And this adorable PA said. No worries, man. Take your time. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, "Holy cow! I'm the luckiest woman in the world." Yeah. You know, I mean, so, so our business is very tolerant. We're lucky, and I, I have no complaints as an actress.
2: Did you turn down a lot of work because of your family? Yeah, Some. no, you do. You're a you do.
5: I share. You turn things down because you can't travel. You yeah. know, you're like once the kids are in school. I can't go. I can't go to to Australia in a
2: few days, and I feel terrible. Right, I do. I feel horrible.
5: Yeah, it's tough, and it's tougher on women because when you have infants, you know. I mean, it's it's easier for you because you can go and come back. It doesn't make it mean it's emotionally easy for you, but yeah. So I work. I try to work. If I have to travel, I do it in the summertime when everybody can come. I work in the city when they're in school and I, you know, try to – And I bunch things. If I have to travel, I bunch it together and, you know, and I have a partner who's an equal parent
2: and, and we alternate stuff Michael Fox and, said that yeah. to me once years ago. He said they send mm-hmm. you a script and the script said, open on the skyline of Manhattan. He'd close the script and say, I'm in.
3: Mm-hmm. <laughs>
5: That's it. Absolutely. He said, I'm I mean, in. I'm
2: done. Just write me a check. You have I'm no there. idea.
5: This tax break in New York City has been a godsend yeah, to me. You got to keep that going. It's amazing because I've been able to do so many movies at home. I mean, it really, and yeah, I'm like, she's in New York? All right. Fine. It's great.
4: To hear Alex's complete conversation with Julianne Moore, go to here's the thing.org. Maggie Gyllenhaal has embraced a wide range of work in her career, from big budget films like The Dark Knight and Nanny McPhee to Off Broadway Theater. She was nominated for an Academy Award for her work in Crazy Heart, and she won a Golden Globe for her performance on the TV series The Honorable Woman. Alec talked with Maggie Gyllenhaal before a live audience at the Hamptons International Film Festival in 2018. Maggie Gyllenhaal majored in English literature at Columbia, and Alec wondered whether she started performing in plays
1: there as well. I did a lot. First, I mean, I, I had one teacher there who I learned a lot from, this woman Joan Rosenfels. But I don't know, I guess I was a Colombian. I sort of felt like I'm a Columbia. Like, I should study what Columbia does best.
2: Yeah. Well, you not know? acting. Yeah. yeah so. I tell people that now who are students uh, who go to, degree-granting universities for drama. And I say, don't just take drama and yeah. acting. Take uh, something where you're going to read a lot of books, philosophy, literature, yeah. history. But you're there getting... And what's the first production you do in New York? Do you remember?
1: Like, my first was... When you got in, to Columbia,
2: you did plays. What oh yeah. what'd you do?
1: What did I do at Columbia? What was the first one? Oh. I did a student production of No Exit. With this guy who became my boyfriend, named Dante, <laughs> who was actually 25 and had already graduated from college,
2: so but he was in a student yeah, production. Dante, yeah, he's yeah. sweet. He'd yeah. be in prison now if that happened, <laughs> correct? Exactly.
1: So I did that. I also did um, *The Tempest*, and I played Prospero. Dante in that too? No, no, no. He didn't make it in that one. <laughs> um, but yeah, that was the first one. Was *No Exit*.
2: When you, when you graduated with a degree in literature, was, was acting the goals? Was that what you wanted to do?
1: Yeah, I did. I always wanted to be an actress. Uh-huh. And I feel, I feel like, yeah, yeah, okay, yes, in college you can read, although there's so much you're supposed to read. I feel like I never had read all of it. Uh-huh. But I feel like I really learned to write in college. And I don't know about you, but I feel like there's been so many times where I've had, you know, lines I wanted changed or... A cut that I wanted shifted or something I had to sort out on a set that I had to write an email or even have a conversation where I had to organize my thoughts before I had it where I think thank God I went to college because I was able to say what I meant to say you know what well,
2: helps if you have uh, that background because the, the, did you feel there was a progression for you? In the beginning, you were timid and shy, you know, less assertive. And, and I want to find out, when did that begin to change? Was there a moment you sat there and you said, I need to defend my position, and I think I know what I, what's best for me?
1: I think, you know, I don't know that it was... I think basically it was progressive, right? Like basically you're right, I was younger and newer and it was harder for me to say what I wanted mm-hmm. and it's gotten easier as I've had more experience. Mm-hmm. But I also think that different sets give way to a different way of working. So first I'm a jobbing actress and I'm trying to get jobs and I come in for two days or one afternoon or whatever and you're like, oh, you, okay, you want me to do it like that? Um, I, know, I don't know, It doesn't sound really very good to me, but I'm afraid to say, let's say. Yeah. Or maybe I do try to say and I get shut down and I accept it and whatever. That's like, you know, it's very hard to do when you're coming in for one second. It's like going to a new school where everybody knows each other and you're there for an afternoon. But then, like, when I worked on Secretary, which was really early on, I mean, I was 22, I had a real point of view about what I wanted to say, and, and Steve Shainberg, who directed it, was really interested in that. Yeah. And I also think he knew that things were happening that I didn't have any idea were happening.
2: Um, wasn't all on the page.
1: And also my 22, I think I'm being very intellectual and I've come from college and I studied feminist theory and everything, you know, and I think I'm saying this. And I think, even I mean, he's 20 years older than me, that he was able to see, I-, I know she thinks she's saying this, but this whole other thing is also happening. and um, And he put all that in the film. But so that was a space where I felt I was totally able to collaborative. Yes, yeah. and then I went to work on a movie after that, which I won't name, where I was totally shut down, and and I was shocked by
2: it. I, I always remember, like you go to a movie, and uh, this is just you know my opinion, but like you do a film, and you want to be told what to do, basically. My, my whole thing is, you're making the movie. What movie are you making? What, what, what how do I fit in? Mm. I, I do one of the first movies I did. Uh, I was lucky. I did this movie, Working Girl, with Mike Nichols, and Nichols says, uh, "You're gonna Amazing. have sex." Yeah, he goes, "You're gonna have sex with this woman, and she catches you having sex. How would you uh, have sex? They're being caught." And I go, "Well," and I try to think of like what's the most comical, you know, thing. And he goes, "He goes," uh, and he was very gracious. He's like, "He's like, that's not a bad idea. That's not a bad idea. But what I think would really sell it if she's just..." Completely naked, and you're completely naked, and she's just sitting right on top of you, yeah. just riding you. And, I, and me and the actually were like, Oh. <laughs> but we had a much more chaste and kind of like silly version of that. And me and the girl were like, and He was like, Okay, come, come now, close off, let's right. go. But the idea of that clarity, time saving, somebody who comes in and says this. Yeah,
1: but the you thing is, that? well, I always use. My fantasy movie I would have made with Mike Nichols as like the example of if Mike Nichols is directing this, yes, I want to be told exactly what to do, please. Like I I watch his movies and I'm like, he's directing everybody. He's like pushing everybody further and deeper and funnier and wilder than they ever would go. In fact, the one time I worked with Mike Nichols was on um, this reading. It's not a not a movie or even a play that was ever produced. It was just a, a, a few-day-long reading of a play that Alan Alda wrote. Bob Balaban directed the reading, but Mike was sort of producing it, I guess. He came up to me after a day of rehearsal, and he just said... She's feral, the character. And I've I've often thought that was the best direction I've ever gotten because it doesn't say, like, you know, I don't know, directors ever come up to you and say, like, I'm worried that we're not going to be able to tell that you're mad because you're acting so nice, and I'm worried that it's not going to communicate, you know, or I'm afraid that you're going too far in this direction, or I'm afraid that you're, you know, going to, confuse people by something that you're doing. I I have been told that before. Um, But Mike Nichols is basically going like, go further, like in any direction you could possibly go. Like what he said to you, you know, go all the way. She's feral. I was playing Marie Curie and he's saying like, she's a wild animal. She's a wild cat. (laughs) Because the other part's taken care of. She's Marie Curie,
2: you know. All the French radiologists knew that back then. <laughs> she was wild, that Marie Curie.
1: But so I want to be told what to do. Yes, I wish for that kind of collaboration. But I don't, I don't go in expecting that it's going to happen. I want it.
2: Who was a director you worked with? Because I, I, I think you and I maybe share this from what you said, where we're not out to uh, um, offend anyone. But you know, think of somebody who it was really just great. You loved working with. Um. Other than your current collaboration, we're gonna to get to that, but Which one. I did love, yes. my
1: current collaboration. Um, huh, I have a few that I've really loved. Um, Martin Scorsese on Banya? Right, that uh, Martin Scorsese directed supposedly, um, according to Wikipedia, me and my husband I'm in researching a 200 on, on, on theater in New York. At Wikipedia, it says, she
2: did Uncle Vanya at... <laughs> at, at, uh, 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 at CSC. At CSC. It's like a tiny at, black box theater in New York. And it says, Martin Scorsese directed The Checkout. And I go, my God, this is like... The seismic thing that got by me. It's like it's like someone woke up to you going, You know the Lindbergh baby was kidnapped, right? It's totally wrong. Like, no, well. I didn't know that.
1: And then yeah. in this Wikipedia entry that Alec just showed me, it then goes on to quote a terrible review of me in the play.
2: <laughs> That's not supposedly... a good section of that no, Wikipedia. I gotta get So Scorsese on that. did not direct No, Bond But yet. Austin
1: thought... Pendleton did, and he is one of the most incredible directors I've ever worked with Tell in me my why. life. Austin, um it's funny. Austin asked me to do uh, Uncle Vanya, and he when when they offered it to me, they sent me this interview with Austin, and it basically talks about this sort of incredible way that he likes to work with actors, you know, where everyone's free to respond to each other in the moment, on stage. you know, all the fantasies that actors have of a way that you could actually really work together, which rarely happens. And I was like, Austin, I'd love to do this. I'd love to work this way, you know, where it's all just reacting to the reality of the moment with the other person on stage. And how everybody says that's what they want to do. How are you actually going to do it? And he's like, well, you got to come and work with me to find out. And the truth is, is I, I don't know how he created this situation where everybody on stage had deep respect for each other, even though, it was clear to me that there were actors who were stronger than others, That there were, but it made no difference. You know, I, I know one way he did it. I remember the first day of, re- of rehearsal. He said, however you imagined uh, Sonia, whatever fantasy you had of who Sonia was going to be when you read this play, Sonia is her. Sonia is this person. And all the feelings you have about this person, about the way that, that ricochets off what you anticipated when you read the play, that's all useful, but Sonia is her. And so we did create this little black box theater situation where, and I did it with my husband, and he's a brilliant actor, so that was cool. Um, and we got to pretend we were having an affair. Both checkoffs we did, we were playing people who were having affairs, which was really hot and great, you know. <laughs> uh, but I loved working with Austin. I also loved, um, I loved Hugo Blick, who directed... The Honorable woman,
2: um, you got a Golden Globe for that. Yeah, that was that you mentioned to me. That was one of the longest times you were overseas and away from home.
1: Yeah, and shooting. and it's funny. I, I really admire what you said about how, for you, um, your your trust is a director's to lose. I I wish I could be like that, but I'm not, and I go in with my guard up, and. Secretly, I want the deepest, most intense artistic collaboration possible, but I don't, it's not easy for me. And with Hugo, I think we were both like that. And, you know, it was eight hours of television. I'd only ever done a two hour movie before, I didn't know how to do that. And I'm in every minute of every scene, and it's super intense. A lot of work with
2: somebody to be covered with somebody. Yeah, and it could have
1: been terrible, you know? But I remember about two-thirds of the way through, somebody, I I came over to him, and I I just sort of said something in his ear about the scene. Oh, I think we need to shift this, and actually, can we move this here, and could this happen over here? Just almost shorthand at this point. And he was like, yeah, absolutely. And someone sitting next to him said, do you just do whatever she says? And he said, he's English also, he said, I trust her completely, like that. And I, I took it in, like, whoa, actually, he was kidding, but I kind of think he does. And then at the very end, on the very, very last day, I had this voiceover to record, which plays at the beginning of every episode. And it's basically about trust. And it basically, I think it says something like, You have to just, I mean, not in these words, but what it meant was you either trust nobody or you just jump off the cliff and you trust. And I was like, um, he put me in this little room to record it because we'd forgotten to record it. And I was like, Hugo, do you mind if I say it to you? And so he came in the room with me. And I basically, the the subtext, I guess, of what I was saying to him was, I trust you, (laughs) you know? Maggie
4: Gyllenhaal. If you're enjoying this conversation, be sure to follow Here's the Thing on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. When we come back, Maggie Gyllenhaal talks about working with the children in the movie, The Kindergarten Teacher.
3: Make Mom's Mother's Day and all the 364 days that aren't Mother's Day with a Bartesian cocktail maker at $50 off. Visit B-A-R-T-E-S-I-A-N.com backslash mother now to get $50 off the Bartesian premium cocktail maker. Bartesian, premium cocktails on demand.
0: This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity.
6: HealthLock has helped its members save over $130 million. Bottom line, insurance alone isn't enough. To save, visit HealthLock.com. Do it today before you see another healthcare provider. That's HealthLock.com. I'm Carrie
4: Donahue, and this is Here's the Thing. In the 2018 film, The Kindergarten Teacher... Maggie Gyllenhaal plays a dissatisfied 40-something teacher from Staten Island who becomes fixated on the talent of one of her students. She heard about the project
1: at a holiday party. Two people at the party said, have you heard about this script, The Kindergarten Teacher? It's coming to you. And it's great. And for me, I think it's really, really rare to read a great script. And also to have two people in one night out of nowhere just say, like, there's this great script and it's coming to you. I was like... Okay. Okay. (laughs) I was waiting every day after that for the script to come. And it took a while. And when it came, I read it and I won't give anything away. The ending is pretty great. And I closed the last page of the script and I was like, I want this movie, you know, and it wasn't clear to me that it was offered to me, which actually just increased my appetite for it more. (laughs) Of course, they say now it always was, but I didn't know that, and one of the producer's mothers was having an operation in the hospital, and like nobody got back to me for a few days after I like really energetically raised my hand and was like, "Yes, please! What do I got to do?" And again, just waiting just made me want it more. And then, then they came back and they were like, "Oh, yes, we always meant to." to and it's give based it on a, another film. Yeah, it's based on an Israeli movie, um, which I haven't seen.
2: Um, Deliberately.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I probably should see it now. Um, I've heard wonderful things about it, and I've heard that narratively it's very similar, and yet it tells an almost entirely different story. So our movie, I think, is really about the consequences of what happens when you starve a vibrant woman's mind told from the point of view of a group of women filmmakers. And our conclusion is that it's fucking dire. <laughs> you know. That's... And I think the Israeli movie, which has a very similar narrative, is, um, is much more about masculinity in Israel, and art in a country at war, and very different things, even though the story itself is very similar. Um, so yeah, so I got the script, and then and I wa- signed up, and then, you know, um, it was not easy to get our money. In fact, at Sundance, when we first premiered, I shook the hands of 50 executive producers who had, you know, all together somehow helped us cobble together the money to make it. So we spent a while um, doing that, and then we made it in 23 days
2: in New York. In New York. Yeah. Now, when you work with uh, uh, and this sounds like a silly thing, but I always think about this in terms of the the brevity of schedules now and the pressure to shoot efficiently now. But with children, I find it's very uh, uh, specific. And in the movie, in, from my money, the the, the the young boy, what's his name? Uh, uh,
1: Jimmy in Jim, the movie Jim, no, the, character the actor,
2: Parker. Parker, mm-hmm. the boy, who's it's. We we had the funniest moment yesterday because I said this kid's fantastic after the movie, and somebody from the festival said, well, he loves Boss Baby. <laughs> he's like how old is he like five he's sexy six six like so we go backstage and i'm like this is amazing you're doing like this really hypnotic creepy drama which is great and i'm in boss baby <laughs> i mean you and i we have so much in common you and i you know we're, we're both in the business different wings of the business maybe parker but we had a lot of fun with him but when you're working with somebody like a lot of times Kids are performing, and the kids that, that climb the ladder a little bit yeah. in that division—they're very, you know, uh, they're ready to come, you know, sing tomorrow on mm-hmm. Broadway. Mm-hmm. And uh, mm-hmm. uh, he's not. No. He's very real.
1: Yeah. And
2: was that a decision you and she talked about? You and Sam? Yeah,
1: I mean, I felt a couple of things very strongly. I have a child who's six, and who was five when we made it, just like Parker's five. So it's hard to remember what it's like to be five. I mean, how different the world is, unless you're five. You have a five year old, I know, right?
2: Yeah.
1: Or unless you're living unless you're living with a five year old. And right. then you're in that mind kind of. So I felt two things. I felt I almost didn't do the movie at one point because I thought no movie, no matter how much I love it or think it's important or whatever, is worth disturbing a child, even for a few minutes. Yeah. So I was like, how are we gonna do this? And I, I also don't think um, five, six year olds are actors. I just don't believe that. And I don't think it's fair to ask them to be actors. So, so I felt like, uh, so basically we worked in a couple ways. I learned this from Emma Thompson, actually, who um, I'm in love with, and who, um, who did uh, Nanny McPhee. We did Nanny McPhee together, and we had tons of kids. And so often, especially with the very littlest one, um, we would just be like, stand on the X. Now look at that big black X on the, on the wall and turn your head when I say so. When I clap, turn your head and say, I don't want to go. And he would, we would clap, he'd turn his head, he'd say, I don't want to go. And I would say, no, 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 sing it, like me. I don't want to go. I don't want to go. No. And then he would just sort of repeat. We, I would be like, you have to just sing it.
2: like Parker. That. To
1: Parker. Sing it. And so then he'd kind of just imitate my inflections. That was one way we worked with him, so that it was just a song. It wasn't like he actually, you can't say to a five year old, I want you to get in touch with the way in which you, I mean, like. um, But the other thing you can do with five year olds uh, is that they will forget that the camera's on them, sort of. So we ran all the kindergarten stuff as if it were a kindergarten. I mean, you see them singing those songs with me or painting, or you're not gonna say, okay, we're gonna pretend to paint or we're gonna like pretend to write X's on a piece of paper. just going to do it and we choreographed the camera I would sort of see where the camera was going almost like a documentary and then I would just like scoot over to wherever the camera was and begin the scene with whoever I needed to be talking to in that scene and then the other funny thing about kids and the like short schedule is um, there were quite a few times where I did scenes with our first AD or our gaffer who would read off camera for me because the little boy had to go and I, I'd be like, this is really weird. But, huh, you know like the way you can trip yourself out as an actor kind of, and you can be like, oh, there's helicopters going over all the time. We have to keep stopping in the middle. I'm really frustrated, and then all of a sudden the frustration just goes back into the scene. So this one I was like, oh, this is like a hairy 50-year-old guy with like a scrubby, you know, easy
2: and, now and, easy <laughs> now
5: no no our first ad our first ad and, and
1: he's lying on the ground slating also and i'd be like oh but i'm okay so i'm basically talking to this child as if he's a man you know you just figure out the way to throw it back in
2: because what else are you gonna do well i'd love it if on my next film you would come and do that exacting acting with me would you be there for me <laughs> you know, you'll be my mirror rostova you know like off the set going okay turn okay and turn to me I say, I don't want to go to prison. I don't want to go to prison for tax evasion. I don't want to go to prison for tax evasion. You know, we could do that. You'd be my acting um, the, um, uh That's amazing. Uh, you know. That ex-acting thing. I I need to work with you, man. I'm dying to get a script with you. It was was
1: Emma Thompson, really. Emma Thompson. You can imagine. She's pretty damn good at that,
2: too. Now, what about Sarah? How many films did she make before she made this film? I loved working with Sarah. And it was a totally different
1: kind of experience than I had ever had before. And in some ways, I like to think it's... It was a very feminine set, right? Sarah wrote and directed it. Our financiers were women. Our... Producers were women. It's all about a woman. Um, but I'd worked with a lot of other women and had very different kinds You've of you experiences You've worked with a few women directors. I have. Yeah. I've worked with many. I mean, even on The Deuce last season, seven out of eight directors were women. You know? Is so, there a difference? Well, there is a difference. Yeah, there is. But that's not necessarily what made, I think, my collaboration with Sarah and our set on The Kindergarten Teacher so... I don't know, unusual, yeah, feminine, but I don't even totally know what that means. Even when I watch the movie, I'm like, this is feminine. Like, what does that mean and why? And my husband, after he saw it last night, he was like, I wish someone would send this to Senator Flake. <laughs> but but I don't really know totally why, right? It's not a political movie, but it's, it's like somehow it's really kind of straight, purely feminine thing. I, you know, it, it makes me think of the piano, not this movie, I would never compare it to that, but the experience I had when I saw the piano and I was like 16 or something and I had never seen anything like it. I was like, what? Mm-hmm. Like, I, I guess I think in some ways, um, girls, women, my age, we get so used to having to relate to a male character or even, let's just say, like a sort of masculine point of view on something. We're like, yeah, yeah, that's not exactly my experience, but I could twist it around and make it relatable to me. And that muscle is very exercised, I think, mm. in most women. We're like, yeah, yeah, I, get, I know it's not exactly my way through the world, but I could, I could just twist a little and it, it's cool. I get it. Mm. And thank God, because otherwise we'd have very little to relate to. But then, like, when I saw the piano, I was like, whoa, I feel so relaxed. I don't have to twist anything. And um, I felt that way when I read Sarah's script. I just, like, went straight in.
2: And when I, when I saw this last night, what I love is that it's not a bad, I don't want to give it away, but the dynamic of the home is not all bad. No. But there's things that maybe, in my mind, you know, are missing. There's yeah. things you want that, yeah. that are gone yeah. and connections and feelings that no, are gone. No, exactly.
1: It's a much easier movie if her home life is like horrible,
2: really, the husband, if, if yeah.
1: everything's just
2: awful. Instead, That's, she's see, like... See, I'm not going to give away the scene on the phone Yeah. and your husband's like, he's ready to, you know, do a little dance with you and then the phone rings. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. Really upsetting scene. Yeah. It's like so fucked up. Yeah. Yeah. It's true. There's it's a couple true. of really you're fucked up scenes in this movie. It's incredible. It's true. So you're doing The Deuce, you're on HBO. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, how did that happen? Meaning, how did they reel you in? I mean, I'm not just saying this for your benefit. You were one of the most admired movie actresses in the business. So when you go to do the TV thing, how did they hook you?
1: Well, huh, I just, it's so funny though, because like in the first three episodes, which was all I read of the Deuce, Candy didn't really have all that much to do,
2: you That's know? why you took the job. <laughs> <laughs> um,
1: no, but it's weird because I was just talking with Peter about this on, when we were walking on the beach here today. I was like, yeah, when I first, I, there wasn't, she turned so amazing. I mean, I love playing Candy, I really do. Um, but I just had like a feeling. I don't know. I was, it was David Simon and George Pelicanos. I mean, they've made some pretty damn good TV. And I had done The Honorable Woman with Hugo, who I told you I loved so much. So it wasn't my first time in TV. I wasn't like snobby about TV. I wanted it. You know, I wanted a good job you know, that, that I could count on, but also- Stay home yes and I to be see. home but also i was like i don't know i just had a good feeling i was like i just want to play this woman i want to i want to try it i want to see i want to see if i can do this it was so far outside of my experience to play a sex worker in 1971 um i just like liked her i just had a i just had like this feeling about it
2: you signed for 3 seasons
1: 3 seasons not a long
2: contract no, no. that's cool
1: and i guess i well, and, you know, there was this whole thing where I was like, guys, I, I've only read three. There's going to be 24. How do I know? I mean, I think you guys are all right. But what if this becomes something? I mean, I've, I never had signed on trust. to something like that before. Well, that's true. T word. But again, like I said, I don't trust that well. So I, I asked them if I could be a producer. And, and the thing is, is when and everyone said to me, you are never going to get that on a big HBO show, you've never produced television before, you didn't develop it, like good luck, Maggie. But then they were like, okay, Great. let's be partners. Good for you. And, um, and I was like, oh wow. Good for
2: you, <laughs> you know? good for you. My last question is a quick two-parter. Now, I, I had a very fleeting role in Looming Tower with your husband, Peter Sarsgaard, and my first question, which is a silly question, is Is your husband really as sweet as he seems?
1: Yeah, my He's husband is- one of the loveliest has-
2: men I've <laughs> ever met in my life. He's
1: a damn good husband. He's a I'm, sweet I'm, guy. I'm thrilled He's- with
2: him. And what's that like for you, being two people who are working all the time, very successful movie actors, that's, uh, is it wonderful to be with somebody who understands what you're going through? I'm married yes. to a woman that's not in the business, and sometimes yes. it's like. Yes,
1: like sometimes <clears throat> I'll be like, when are you coming home? I don't understand, when yeah. are you coming home? Like, we had planned such and such, and he's like, Maggie, you know I don't know the answer to that, yeah. you know? I'm yeah. like,
2: oh yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, my wife was like, <laughs> my wife sometimes is just like, Alec, why are you so dramatic? And I'm like, <laughs> duh. <laughs> anyway, Maggie all everybody.
4: Thanks to actors Julianne Moore and Maggie Gyllenhaal. And of course to Alec Baldwin, who, you know, normally hosts this show. Here's The Thing is produced by Kathleen Russo, me, Carrie Donahue, and Zach McNeese. Our engineer is Frank Imperial.
2: Carrie, am I coming back next week?
4: Yes, Alec. You're back next week and you're talking to Jackson Brown. But every other week for the rest of the summer, members of our team will be popping into the feed to showcase terrific interviews from the archives.
2: Thanks, Carrie. Thanks, Alec.